I was going to say something similar to that, but you beat me to it. Yes. I know. It seems like the most appropriate way to start this particular episode with our send off. <laughs> yes. Right. Because we are doing today a nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, exactly. So if there's any movie that calls for sweet screams, it's this one. For sure. Oh, I'm so excited to do this one because, you know, we did Scream last week and now we're returning to the mastermind of it all, Wes Craven. That's so fun. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah, like we we got to see like his what his legacy is left behind and inspired. And now we get to get back to Wes Craven and what he created. So that is very exciting. Instagram has been popping. Oh, our engagement has gone up like it's like skyrocketed oh my god and it's all thanks to scream it's all thanks scream, to scream fever scream fever took over and also i mean i have to give credit where credit is due um your your stab creations oh that you made were just like out of this world and you know people went nuts for it so that's all frankie oh my god yeah People love Stab. And you know what? Honestly, I was truly inspired by Alicia Silverstone playing Tatum. Like, Hello. Hello. like yeah. Scream 2022 said that. I was like, well, I have to make this. I just wanted to see Alicia Silverstone on like a Stab poster. And I was like, I just have to make it. That's what I'm going to have to do. I love it. Also, the Instagram engagement has brought on some new listeners. So welcome, new listeners. We're so excited that you're here with us. Oh, yeah. My name is Jake, by the way. I know we're like five minutes into this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Frankie. Yes. And welcome to the show. Welcome to Fear the Talking Queers, where we're here to laugh and talk about our favorite scary movies and um, have a good time. So, yes, let's do something fun to liven up um, this episode. All right. So we are going to be playing our podcast favorite. Would you rather? Ooh, dun, dun, dun. I have a list. So do I. Where's your list from? My list is from BuzzFeed.com. It says this horror edition of Would You Rather is actually kind of terrifying. Choose carefully. The consequences could be dire. Mine's from Freaked.com. And it says 50 Would You Rather questions to play with your horror crazed friends. That would be you. Oh my God. That's us. Oh my God. Okay, perfect. Give me um, how many are on yours. I'm going to pick a number for you to read me one. I have one through 50. Okay, let's go with lucky number 11. Both of our lucky numbers. I knew you were going to pick it. Would you rather be one of the survivors in 28 Days Later or Zombieland? (sighs) Zombieland. That's more fun. Oh, yeah. It's like a carnival. It's like hilarious and fun and bright. There's neon lights. And like the people who have survived are like really fun. And yeah, it's like Emma Stone. Yeah. Bill Murray. Like, oh, my God. They seem like a good crew to hang around. Yes. And in Zombieland, too, they have that sort of like 
hippie commune on top of that sci- skyscraper. <laughs> I would love to be there and partying. Oh my gosh. I actually have not seen Zombieland 2 yet. Uh, I don't know why. Oh my god. What's wrong with me? Well, you better double tap on that. Get it? Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Love it. Double tap that ass. Double tap that ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my turn. Okay, so my list is uh, from one to uh, ten. <laughs> <laughs> Pick wow. a number from one to ten. All right. Um, I'm going to pick three. All right. Would you rather go for a swim at Camp Crystal Lake or in the Black Lagoon? <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe. I don't know. The Black Lagoon. It's kind of like in a really beautiful, exotic place. Like, yeah. It's like in the jungles. Like, like Cramp Crystal Lake. Every time we say Camp Crystal Lake. I always call it Cramp, Cramp. Crystal Lake. <laughs> hey, yeah, it's and I think it's because I've heard you say it in one of our episodes once, <laughs> and I can never get it out of my mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would probably go there. It's such like a beautiful exotic locale where the Gilman lives, mm. and you know Camp Crystal Lake. There's a lot of children, and I do not go for that. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to be no fucking counselor, but I would go to the Black Lagoon no. because like you said, it's more exotic. You could wear like a nice 60s um, oh my God. floral white bikini. Yes. Oh, I'm thinking like Ursula Andress, like yes. stunning, like two piece. A pearl necklace. Yeah. Oh my God. A sun hat and a giant fish monster. Yeah. It's a little more glamorous over there at the Black Lagoon. That is luxury. Luxury, darling. All he wants to do is be loved. Uh, but Jason, I don't <laughs> okay. know. Yeah, no, no, no. No, no, no. No. <laughs> All right. Just too many children around. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kids for me. Um, yeah, it's the kids for me. It's the deal breaker. Okay. All right, your turn. One through 50. Let's go with 47. Would you rather be stuck in it or it follows? <laughs> okay. Wait a minute. i would say it because that seems a little more escapable than it follows like it follows seems like destined doom whereas it yeah all you have to do is like not be scared and like you'll survive oh yeah that's like true like it's like way easier to just be not scared of a giant murderous alien clown right Um, but yeah it follows (laughs) (laughs) it follows is i guess yeah, it's a little harder to avoid. Harder. Like, once you got it, like, you got it for life. And once it's close to you, like, it can start, like, appearing to you as people you know and trust and love. And that no. might be really confusing. But it, it's like, what is it going to show up as? Like, your biggest nightmare or, like, that fucking clown? I'm like, I'd be like, you goofy bitch, get away from me, you know? And then, <laughs> and then he'll die and you won't be scared for another 27 years or whatever. Yeah, but, but you know what? And it follows, yes, like, you may pass it on. But eventually it could probably get back to you. So I don't like that yeah. part of it. So no. Yeah. I'd rather be do it. I pick number one. Would you rather have Chucky as a toy or Reagan as a sister? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, I don't know. I think Chucky as a toy, seeing as how he's come up, you know, kind of far in his his motives and everything. He might be on my side. He might be there to help me out, you know, to, uh, you know, be a good friend, get rid of the people that I don't care for in my life. 
I mean, the latest installment of the Chucky franchise is him helping a little gay boy named Jake uh, on his journey. Like, that sounds about yes. right for That you. sounds about right for me. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the other option? Chucky or who? Having Reagan as a sister. No. The mm-hmm. whole house smells she, like vomit. She smells so bad. And she's bringing in the demons. Mm, yeah. No, 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 no. Not no, Reagan. No, 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 no. All right. So my last one, right? Okay, yeah. Let's go with 13. Ooh. <laughs> Would you rather be lost in the woods with a killer on the loose or locked in a haunted insane asylum? In the woods with the killer on the loose. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. There are more places to hide. If I'm locked in an insane asylum, I might actually go crazy in there. But you're like lost in the woods. I mean, at least in the insane okay. asylum, you know where you're at, right? But eventually you might come to a dead end. Oh, this is true. But in the woods, it's probably, it's endless. This makes me think of like Blair Witch. And that gives me so much anxiety. Just like walking in a straight line, never getting anywhere. Right. But if it's not the Blair Witch Woods where you're not going in a big ass circle, you might eventually come across a road <laughs> and flag down a car for help. Oh my God, that's true. All right. Last one. Pick your pick wisely. Okay. I choose number nine. Number nine. Uh, okay. This is actually perfect because it is. Would you rather have the girl from the ring after you because you watched the video? Or have Freddy Krueger after you in your dreams? I would probably say The Ring. Because it, isn't it like you, you, you like, if you just pass it on, like you just like have somebody watch the video and then you're like good. So at least there's like an end game here. I feel like Freddy is just free for all. Yeah. He's there to slice and dice. And also, yeah. And then like in your dreams, like dream logic is so frustrating. It is. We'll come um, to find out. I honestly, okay, I'm going to think of it from the standpoint of dying. I think I'd rather have Freddy Krueger slash me and have it be this really fun, like, sort of 80s death instead of, like, being scared (laughs) to death by some bitch crawling out of the TV. I know. She probably also smells bad. But Freddy also smells bad. There's just a lot of bad smells, so. I know. I can't base it on that, I guess. No, no smells in this one. Speaking of Freddy Krueger, that takes us right on down to Elm Street. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is like a classic that we have not hit yet, surprisingly. And here we are on our fourth season and we're just now getting to it. We've done other iterations of this universe though. We've done Freddy versus Jason on our, uh, on our season three with Homies of Horror. And then we have been on Homies of Horror doing A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Yeah, so I guess it's time for us just to get down to the OG. Let's dive in. This is A Nightmare on Elm Street. (gasps) Please, God. This is God. A Nightmare on Elm Street, released in 1984, written and directed by Wes Craven, the angel above. Oh, R.I.P. Our film begins with a bizarre nightmare sequence where we see a strange man, visible only by his hands, creating a strange weapon, a glove with sharp knives for fingers. He puts on the glove as our title card zooms onto the screen, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Tina, played by Amanda Wiss, a young girl in a nightgown, is rushing down ominous alleyways filled with steam and shadows. 
Suddenly, the bizarre man lunges at her, brandishing the glove. Tina screams and sits bolt upright in her bed. The entire episode was a nightmare. Tina's mother comes into her bedroom, alerted by her scream, and notices that Tina's nightgown is slashed near her stomach. The cuts are similar to what would be made with the glove from the dream. Tina meets her friends at school the next morning. Her boyfriend Rod, played by Jesus Garcia, her best friend Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp, and Nancy's boyfriend Glenn, played by Johnny Depp. Nancy and Tina discover that they have both had the same nightmare, and although Glenn and Rod try and hide the fact, they seem to have been having nightmares also. That night, Nancy and Glenn decide to stay with Tina because her mother has gone out of town. Rod shows up later and frightens the three of them by making strange sounds in the backyard and then jumping out at Glenn. Rod and Tina go upstairs into a bedroom to have sex, while Nancy and Glenn sleep separately downstairs. Nancy resists the idea of fooling around since she and Glenn are supposedly there as moral support for Tina. That's dumb. If they're having sex, you should too. Yeah, exactly. I was like, Jesus, Nancy, such a prude. Get the stick out of your ass and put a dick in it. (laughs) As all of them fall asleep, strange things begin to occur. Nancy sleeps in Tina's room and the wall over her head seems to lose its solid form and the shape of a human figure looking at her seems to lean out of it. Nancy does not see it, her eyes closed in half-sleep, and when she awakens, the form disappears. In the room where Tina and Rod are sleeping, Tina is awakened by noises at the window. Someone is in the backyard hurling small rocks at the glass. Tina knows this is whoever has been trying to frighten her, and she goes downstairs to confront whoever it is. When she ventures out in the backyard, a phantom voice lures her into the alley. Her stalker emerges, a man named Freddy Krueger, played by Robert England, who wears a fedora, a dirty red and green striped sweater, and the deadly glove with knives her fingers. He taunts Tina by laughing at her and whispering her name, and he walks toward her with his arms stretching further than humanly possible, spanning the entire alley, blocking her escape. Tina retreats into her backyard and the figure leaps out again, this time from behind a tree. He slices off his own fingers and green-colored ooze spurts out. Tina tries to make it into her back door, but the man grabs her and she struggles with him. We see Tina in bed next to Rod, thrashing around. She has been dreaming this incident, only the man seems to actually be under the covers with her. Rod awakens and pulls off the sheet. He can only see Tina, but she is being manipulated by some unseen force. Her stomach is slashed open, four wounds appearing all at the same time, obviously from the glove. Tina is dragged, screaming up the wall, over the ceiling, and falls down dead into the bed, which is now covered in her blood. Nancy and Glenn have now awakened and burst into the room to find Rod gone, apparently through the window. They find Tina dead. Wow! Yes, yes, yes. So a little backstory on this. In a lot of ways, this was Wes Craven's comeback. He had done Last House on the Left with um, Sean Cunningham, who was obviously the creator of Friday the 13th. And then he made The Hills Have Eyes. And both of those were successes. And then after that, he did like Swamp Thing as like a TV movie. (laughs) And then he didn't work for three years. He lost his house. He got divorced. He got addicted to cocaine. I'm like, Mr. Craven, what? Oh my God. Isn't that insane? But then he got clean and he remarried and he wrote A Nightmare on Elm Street. So this is like a big comeback for Wes Craven. 
Wow, I love that. This is also a huge comeback for Miss New Line Cinema. The success of this movie uh, revived that that production company that was in uh, turmoil, I would say. One of the first things that I realized when watching this movie is that the score and the sound cues are amazing. Oh my gosh, it's so iconic. Dum, 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 dum. It sounds dreamy. It does. does. it sound dreamy It too? sounds dreamy. It sounds like a little hazy. Um, the, yeah. the composer, Charles Bernstein, played all the instruments by himself because of the low budget. Damn, yeah, this movie was made on a budget of $1.8 million. But um, that's still pretty low. Like, to make a movie like this that requires, like, such huge special effects and everything for the time, like, 1.8, that's low. Yeah. And so, like, what they're able to accomplish is already just, like, tremendous, I would say. I have to say that I actually enjoy Wes Craven's directing more in this movie than in Scream. I mean, it's definitely, it definitely required a different type of imagination. Yes. Right. That's exactly you know what I'm Yeah. I love his ideas Whereas, in this. Yeah. Like, Scream, obviously, is set in a little more grounded reality Mm -hmm. whereas this requires not only to have like a grounded reality part of it but also like crazy dream logic and um you know distorted more supernatural yeah Yeah. supernatural things that happen and so that's a yeah it definitely was maybe a harder technical directing thing for him yeah and um yeah, and I think that we really love the fruits of that labor. We do, we do. Because Tina's first nightmare feels like a real nightmare. Like, it's like oh, yeah. running from someone in an unfamiliar place, strange omens, like that lamb or that goat that comes out. Um, yeah. And then, like, the distorted noises. Her wearing that hideous nightgown. Like... <laughs> <laughs> What a nightmare. <laughs> I know. It is such a nightmare. But even like in the in the reality of it all, when she wakes up and she jumps out of bed and just that angle that he shot her in where she jumps up and it's like distorted and shadowy and the crucifix is behind her and it's lit, but yeah. she's also lit. I'm like, oh, I love that. It's just so, it's so exciting, this movie. Oh, totally. And we have like some like dream logic things that are already starting to go into effect here. Um, one of them I noticed, which I don't know <laughs> if this was on purpose or if this was what, but it seemed at one point like Miss Tina was like running, right? But it seemed like she was like r- running really slowly, like she wasn't getting anywhere. And I was like, is this just like, <laughs> was that on purpose? I'm not really sure. But to me, I was like, oh, that reads, that reads as dream logic. Like the yeah. running but not moving thing. So we're like, we're getting like the tropes of what <laughs> w- what nightmares are. It's like, girl, you don't look like you're running for your life. But also I noticed this later in like Nancy's dreams where these scary things are happening, but she's sort of just like floating through. And it is kind of like in your dreams, you don't have much control over your actions. Yeah, So you exactly. are kind of just mindlessly floating. And like you said, sometimes you're running and you're not going anywhere. So yeah, it is sort of dream logic. But the idea that yeah. what happens in your nightmare happens to you in reality, like the slashes appearing on Tina's yeah. nightgown, um, it gives you like a new level of terror with a killer in your nightmares. Like this is something so cool and unique. It's like you're not yeah. you're not safe under your your spot. Like you know when you hide under the covers from the monster, like your monster is under the covers and your sleep, that's scary. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like that's our escape. Like sleep is where we go to, you know, recharge, renew, refresh. And in this, that is like the last place you 
you want to be, but also it's somewhere that is like impossible for us not to go. Like we require yeah. sleep. Exactly. And it's like it's like that impending doom where it's like I'm eventually gonna fucking fall asleep. Like my body has to. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's almost like and so that struggle of like not going to sleep um, is a really fun thing to to see like play out. Like I thought that is like a really fun concept that we have here. Which kind of brings up the topic of what inspired this movie. You know, some people say that this was inspired by a true story, which is kind of true. Yeah. So like as if any Nightmare on Elm Street fan. It seems more like a like a urban legend or something. How they kind of talk about it. How they know? talk about it. It does kind of sound, but it actually is real. So if you're a Nightmare on Elm Street fan, you already know this, but Wes Craven was inspired right. by the true story of 18 Cambodian refugees who died in their sleep, probably from trauma as they had escaped the killing fields in Cambodia. And I read the original article from a 1981 New York Times um, paper. She did her research. I did my <laughs> research, girl. And she did her research. She knew you got you Uber fans were listening. Ultimately, they said there was a disruption in their heartbeat, so they decided that they were having nightmares that scared them to death. Like, that was their rationale. Um, So Wes Craven cited one of the stories was a boy who had died after having these nightmares and he would tell his family that there was a man inside his dreams that was trying to kill him. And one night after he went to bed, his family heard him screaming and when they got to his room, he was dead. And then his father was a doctor and he was prescribing him like sleeping pills, but he never took them because when they found his body, they found the pills under his bed and then they found a coffee pot hidden in his closet it's like, oh, oh my, my God, God. That's, that's kind of really terrifying. Yeah, the fact that that could even possibly be real is terrifying. and adds a whole new layer to this movie. The visuals in this are amazing, especially when it oh comes gosh, yes. to Freddy. Like, Freddy coming out of the wall looks really cool, oh, like yeah. the way it's lit. And all it is is spandex. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know what? When I was in college, I put on a haunted house... I did, okay, let me rephrase that. My class was putting on a haunted house, <laughs> and in my section, I don't know if, if if I thought of this or if my teacher thought of this. I think it might have been me. I might have been a little little uh, genius about this. Okay, but yeah, I I had my teacher order us like a yard or like a whatever thing of spandex, and we built a wall and we like had it in the room, and we had actors, you know, behind the screen, like pushing their hands through and their face through and it was like lit really cool with uv like black light yes it looked really fun it was cool i was like super proud of it yeah that does look really cool at this point in time 1984 spandex was a new material which is funny yeah. to think about but yeah it's spandex. That is true but with the lighting like you like your uv lights the black lights and the deep echoing stretching sound it's so much cooler but it doesn't come across like a cheap whatever in this no. movie it looks really good it looks amazing it doesn't look like spandex. it holds up still no it looks like the wall is like liquid Yes, I love it. This is the creepiest Freddy's ever been. Like the way he's lit, the way he runs, yeah. his extended arms, the glove. I also want to touch on Freddy's puppet arms because those are hilarious. He looks like one of the one of the uh, car wash people. Yeah, it does look funny Woo! because they're already stretched out before they elongate. Yes. <laughs> so they're yes. kind of like a knuckle dragger, and then all of a sudden they just pull <laughs> them up. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's fun. It was like done with like some. Some fishing wire, some people off off to the sides. We love it. We love a practical moment. 
Yeah, this is part, this is like the beginning of the silliness that was to come for Freddy in the later sequels. Yes, exactly. With the with these fucking accordion arms that he has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the noise his glove makes, his Robert's voice, and when he cuts off his own fingers and that green ooze comes out, like those are very yeah. scary things. And I'm like, I love the practical effects. They have an undeniable charm. Oh, I love it. Freddy's such a cool character, too, because he's such a departure from what people had gotten used to in these movies. You know, like the monster movies. Like before, they were the strong, silent type. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Especially because before, they were like the universal monsters who kind of had, you know, scary faces and mannerisms. And and then we get into like the 70s and 80s where we have Leatherface and Michael and Jason where they're just covered in masks. And this one, you can see his face is burned and scarred and... It's it's um, yeah, scary. and he can talk. Yeah, he, he, you know, he, he, I mean, he doesn't he talk talks. a lot in this one, but he he does talk like throughout the franchise, and you know that that gives him his own sort of special thing about him, especially when we do compare him to the Titans, who mm-hmm. who most of them are sort of are silent killers. We don't we don't know much of their perspective on on what's happening, but we know for sure that Freddy is there to to kill and laugh and have a good time and he enjoys it and we we hear these things from him yeah you know we we hear his wit we hear that sort of part of him that we don't get from somebody like michael honestly none of us really know no. what michael wants or <laughs> what he's no exactly what his deal is we're finding out now thankfully thanks to halloween kills he's just a fully realized character that's a very much a part of the movie like everybody else is and i think that's fun yeah but only has seven minutes of screen time in this movie which is and what an icon he became seven minutes seven minutes my god who do you think you are judy dench i think that's a testament to robert england's acting like the way he brought freddie to life yeah. is like remarkable like he used nosferatu as a as a reference to like develop his stance and his mannerisms a lot of things say that the, the glove was really heavy so yeah, his like so shoulder leaning. was dropped so it has that like kind of lean that's why when he's like running he's like has this weird like limp gimpy <laughs> limp it's like really funny I was like, not doing I was like, is this leprechaun <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but he also said that he used his envy for the young beautiful actors in the film to build up the character he said like he would sit in makeup for like three oh and a half God, hours and then he said he would look over and he would see Johnny Depp and Heather Langenkamp and he'd be like and they looked beautiful and they were getting makeup applied for whatever reason and I'm looking at them they're all done they're <laughs> laughing and I'm just like sitting there can't move can't breathe <laughs> and he's like and I, I hated them <laughs> his own animosity towards them yeah you know what he did I did see an interview where he equated it to being like a cocteau version of Beauty and the Beast where it's like you know he's like that kind of translates like to what you just said yeah like he's like this ugly being whatever and he's like shunned from the beautiful people's time you know they're having a good time together and he's but longing to be as beautiful as they are that's funny that seems like his <laughs> reference is more about the behind the scenes than yes the actual story of the movie <laughs> yeah he's like so you know torturing them on screen was was fun for him <laughs> i love that part of freddie's outfit it's like inspired by this homeless man that oh scared Wes Craven when he was 10. Yeah, that he was looking at him and it scared him to death. And the villain in the last house on the left, his name is Krug. So there's a play on that. And also Freddy was yeah. inspired by one of his childhood bullies. And so Fred. it's really empowering at the end 
you know, when he overcomes this and they overcome him. So we meet um, Glenn played by Johnny Depp in his first movie role ever. Yeah. Like, whoa. He was very lucky to have gotten this movie. I think originally Charlie Sheen was cast, but he wanted $3,000 yeah. a week and they were like, uh, no. So, uh, <laughs> excuse me, who do you think you are? Wes Craven described him as pale, greasy, and stinky, dirty. <laughs> yeah, that he had like nicotine stained fingers and, you know, he was a lead singer of a rockabilly band. But Wes Craven's daughter and her little friend thought he was so cute. So out of all the headshots, that's the one that they picked to play Glenn. They wow. basically were the casting directors for this. We meet Rod. Who you I know, think is hot. I'm just gonna say that. I'm throw that out there. Okay, so we're gonna... <laughs> if he had told me that he woke up with a with a boner that had my name on it, I'd be like, really? Oh my god, <laughs> I love that line. Yeah, Miss Tina reads him too. How can that be? My name has four letters and how could there possibly be enough room on your joint for four letters? <laughs> yes, Tina was... She really got him with that one. <laughs> yeah, she's a sassy little firecracker. I like Tina. It's funny because they actually cited Janet Lee in talking about the character of Tina, where she's sort of the person that we're following, and then she dies. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That in the remake, I think it's more noticeable in the remake because their characters are a little different. (laughs) Yeah, you're kind of following her, and then she dies. You're like, oh, okay. It's not as obvious here, but yeah, I feel like Katie Cassidy was in it for much longer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Tina's death scene though. This is like known as one oh. of the one of the best, the best kill what? scenes like, in a slasher movie, in a horror movie. Even. It is so good. Like just terrifying and technologically thrilling to watch. I remember looking up how they did this way back when when I watched them yeah. like, when I was so fascinated by movie room. magic and I'm like well, how did they do this a rotating room of course all the props were secured down they said that they lacquered Tina and Rod's hair down so that it wouldn't move up and down <laughs> <laughs> I'm like wow the cameraman had seats the cameras were bolted down I'm like how how fascinating that they were able to achieve this with such a small budget seriously no it, it looks so cool I just love it. And I love Amanda Wiss talking about this in interviews because she's like, she said that she got super disoriented. She got vertigo. And at one point she just slammed right into a wall (laughs) because she was so confused. And and they had to stop every once in a while and be like, up, down, right, left. Wow. Because she was so confused and she was actually kind of spooked by this. And so it really pays off. The MPAA had Wes cut the final moments of Tina's death scene where her body falls in the bed because apparently the blood splatter was much bigger and they thought it was disturbing. So they originally gave this movie an X rating. Oh my god, I know. Like X? MPAA can suck it. (laughs) Okay, well, why don't we keep going? Yes. At the police station, Nancy is giving her account of what happened and she talks to Lieutenant Donald Thompson, also who happens to be her father and played by John Saxon. Nancy's mother, Marge, played by Ronnie Blakely, and Lieutenant Thompson are apparently divorced, and they greet each other with restrained hostility. Rod is the obvious suspect in the murder, but Nancy feels that this is not the case. Although Rod has a reputation as a delinquent, Nancy knows he's not a killer. As Nancy walks to school the next morning, Rod appears and pulls her into some bushes. Rod swears to Nancy that he did not kill Tina, but before they can talk any further, Lieutenant Thompson appears with his men and arrests Rod. 
Nancy's offended that her father used her to capture Rod, and she storms off. At school, the exhausted Nancy falls asleep in English class, and she thinks she sees Tina standing outside the classroom door. Tina speaks to her from a bloody body bag, and Nancy sees the bag dragged away by some unseen hand. She drifts out of the classroom and follows the bloody trail down into the basement. On the way, she's confronted by a female hall monitor who scolds her for not having a hall pass. Leaving the girl behind, Nancy turns around when she speaks to Nancy in a man's voice, brandishing the weird knife glove and cackling at her. Nancy goes down into the basement and is confronted by the killer, who is dressed in the same sweater and hat. His skin is horribly scarred, burned almost beyond recognition. He traps Nancy in the boiler room and backs her against the wall, taunting her. Come to Freddy, he says, but just before he can slash her with the glove, Nancy burns her arm on a hot pipe. The burn wakes her up and she disrupts her English class by screaming and jumping out of her chair. Even though she's now awake, she has a large burn mark on her arm. Embarrassed and frightened, she leaves the school for the day. Oh my god, we have some really fun casting things in here. John Saxon, chief of police in Black Christmas, is back. Ugh. Yes, oh my god, in the same exact role. (laughs) (laughs) And also, Joseph Whip, Woodsboro's sheriff, is here. What is he, the deputy? Yeah, the sheriff from Scream. I was like, wow, this is hilarious. It's like they all exist in the same world. And then Miss Lynn Shea is Nancy's teacher. Oh my god, you know, I can't look at Lynn Shea without seeing her in this random movie called Kingpin. Have you heard of this movie? No. It's like the, it's like a Fairly Brothers movie. It's about bowling. It's it's like one of those like really raunchy and probably inappropriate by today's standards comedies. Oh god. Uh, but she plays this like disgusting woman. Ew. Who's like she's like yeah, brown teeth and like she's like really disgusting so every time I see Lin Shay, I just think of her in that movie and I just think she's gross but she's probably a really lovely beautiful woman she probably is but I think of her as Magda from um Insidious no not no Matt wait Matt Magda wait, no Magda Magda in there's something about there's Mary there's something about Mary <laughs> yeah. There's some really fun things that happen throughout this movie. So Wes Craven picked the colors red and green for Freddy's sweater because he read somewhere that it's the the hardest color combination for the human eye to put together. Yeah, which is and crazy. that it's like uncomfortable. It's and so he's like, I want, I want, I want Freddy to look uncomfortable to look at. That's so. weird, uh, but it it kind of plays throughout. Like I think that the sheet that uh, Rod and Tina are sleeping with is red and green, and the, the book that they're reading from an English class is red and green. So they constantly put Ooh. this throughout. It's kind of cool. Well, speaking of science, I love Tina in this body bag. It is so, Ooh, so creepy. Good. It is creepy. Yeah, this movie still holds up as like being kind of scary. There's like a lot of good scary visual gags here. There are. And one of them is when she's on the ground at the end of the hallway and we oh. see her being dragged away. But we're seeing it from afar. It just looks so much cooler than being up close yeah. and seeing it. Cause it's so creepy. It's really chilling. And especially when like there's snakes and centipedes later coming out of it. Um, Ew, gross. But can you like, imagine uh, being zipped up in a body bag? Oh my god, I know. Like she had vertigo, now she has claustrophobia. <laughs> yeah, they've really put Miss Miss Wiss through it. Miss Swiss, Swiss Miss over here. Swiss, she was Swiss Miss Amanda Wiss. She is going <laughs> through it. <laughs> Poor thing. The things that she did for this role. And Miss Heather's everybody's favorite. Wow. Mm-hmm. I love that throughout the movie, you don't know when a dream is starting. Oh, yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, that is 
that's really fun because you're like you're never quite sure what's real and what isn't like our narrators aren't capable of being you know trustworthy we can't trust that if we're following through their vision that what they're seeing is real or what isn't yeah and that's brilliant what do you think of the boiler room as Freddy's lair? Oh, I totally think it's really interesting. I think it's cool because, you know, it's like a labyrinth, but it's not just the fact that it's like a confusing layout. It's like the lights and everything that like shine through. I feel like it's all just super disorienting. It is. It's kind of and like what we were talking about earlier with getting lost in the woods. Like you don't really know where you are. Yeah. Everything looks the same. Yeah, everything looks the same. There's like just like a tiny amount of light to trick you. Another fun behind-the-scenes fact is that they filmed this uh, boiler room was, like, in a prison of some sort. And then after filming, shortly after, the prison was shut down because they found that it was riddled with asbestos. <laughs> Ew. A true nightmare. They didn't have to put makeup on Robert. They're like, this is just the effects of being in this room for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Another thing that I love about this section, this is a short section, but another thing I love is the hall monitor. This girl with the pigtails oh, yeah. that has the glove on. I'm like, oh my god, her. We love her. But like, who is she? <laughs> the hall monitor. And it's kind of cool to see the difference even between Tina's dream and like Nancy's dream. Like Tina's dream seemed more fan fantasy-like, like with I don't know. Mm. And Heather or Heather. Yeah, Heather, Nancy. Hers seem more rooted in reality, which I think plays into her yeah. character. So I think that's kind of a cool difference between the two dreams. You know, we're seeing a lot of like Nancy's um, relationship with her parents because she gets really upset with her father for using her as bait in this moment. I never realized that her parents were divorced. <laughs> I know. Well, uh, you know, I, I noticed it when he goes, you know, go over to Nancy's house instead of like my house. He says that later in the movie. He tells one of the officers to go stand guard at Nancy's house. Oh. And I was like, would that be your house? But I was like, oh, they're See, obviously not together. All the I've seen this movie countless times, and I've never realized that her parents were divorced. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> I mean, what an what, I mean, what an interesting you know sort of thing to give Nancy as a character, like divorced parents. She's. You know, what an interesting thing for her to play. Because yeah. they could be just, you know, could, nuclear there, family. But There are really a lot of things in this that play into who Nancy is and really how she kind of one-ups Freddie in the end. Yeah. Wes Craven's idea of who Nancy was in order to be able to be Freddie's biggest challenge with his victims. Yeah, she's, she's a shining beacon of good. Yeah, and she's able to see past the bullshit. She knows that Raw didn't kill Tina. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Nancy visits Rod in prison and confirms her fears. Rod is having the same nightmare, haunted by the same figure with the glove. She tells Rod that she knows he didn't kill Tina and leaves. Nancy has another incident where she is threatened by Freddy. She falls asleep in the bathtub and she is pulled underwater, dragged into some kind of abyss underneath. She manages to swim back up to the opening of her bathtub and pulls herself to safety. Marge hears Nancy screaming and bursts into the bathroom. She sends Nancy to bed, but Nancy is now afraid to sleep. She drinks coffee constantly and has a fresh pot hidden in her room, just in case. Nancy enlists Glenn's help in an experiment. It appears as if she asks Glenn to follow her, but she is in her nightclothes, so we presume she is dreaming. Nancy goes to the jail where Rod is being held, and by peering in the window, she can see his cell. 
Rod is asleep and she can see the killer approaching him, walking right through the bars of Rod's cell. Nancy yells for Glenn, but he is no longer there. Instead, the voice of the killer answers, I'm here, Nancy, and he lunges at her, chasing her back to her house. She runs inside and finds she cannot escape because her stairs have suddenly turned into a sticky mess. The killer smashes the window on the front door and peers inside as Nancy struggles to get away. He is wearing Tina's face as a mask and imitating her voice. He says, Nancy, help me, please save me from Freddy. Nancy wakes up and she is furious to find Glenn asleep next to her bed as she had asked him to keep watch and wake her if it looked like she was having a nightmare. Nancy and Glenn hurry over to the jail to see Rod as Nancy is convinced the killer is going to strike. Sure enough, before they can intervene, Rod's nightmare becomes real and an unseen hand twists his bed sheets around his neck, straining him up in his cell and breaking his neck. Ooh, okay. Yeah, we're just going from these like intense dream sequences to the next intense dream sequence. Literally, which is which is fine by me. I think it hurries the story along. And it makes this of an easy, breezy watch. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. There's no, like, deep story going on here. No. Like, let's be honest. But, I mean, but it doesn't need it. It doesn't need it. No. I think it's just, like... Simple storytelling. A, a, a simple story. Yeah, simple storytelling, but ineffective and frightening one. One thing I really love about this movie is that Heather Langenkamp plays Disturbed very well, especially as, like, she loses sleep, so her, like, psyche starts to deteriorate. I think she plays Disturbed well, and when she goes to the jail, I think there's really kind of a shining performance between the two of them, but... (laughs) Fun fact, again, I I did a lot of behind-the-scenes research for this one. (laughs) And um, Jesus Garcia, who I think was originally credited in this as Nick Corey. Right before he started filming this movie, he was homeless and addicted to drugs. And he was snorting heroin on the set. And so in this scene that he has at the very top of this section, he said he was high when he was talking to Nancy in the cell. And Heather said that, you know, she played into like his performance because she said his eyes were watery and unfocused and she thought it was a testament to his acting, but really he was just high on heroin. (laughs) Wow. Can you really just like visit people in jail like that? And no. just like hang out and, and lean on the wall, like you know, and like reach through the the bars. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, this is so casual. They just like let her in, and she can like hang with her friend at the jail. Yeah. Hey. I noticed this yesterday when I was watching The Mask too. I was like, <laughs> or it's like that scene oh, yeah. in Elvira. Like, yeah, people just come and go whenever. You just come <laughs> see the people in the jail zoo, or they have <laughs> bars that look outside, so you can go and, oh, and yeah. sit outside talk to this, and talk through the yeah. bars <laughs> talk to the people walking by one thing i wish i would have looked no. up is how many people actually fall asleep and die drowning in the bathtub <laughs> oh that's probably a lot <laughs> that happens it's a so lot. relaxing sometimes have you ever done it i've never fallen asleep in the bathtub but mostly because my entire body is usually like halfway out of the bathtub so I don't have a deep relaxing soaking tub but in those hotels you're a tall you're a tall boy yes I'm a model so um, I'm not gonna lie every time I see you in person I forget how tall you are really yes I'm always like oh my god I forget you're so fucking tall and I'm like a freaking little leprechaun how tall are you I say I'm 5'8 but according to my Disneyland audition she was like you're 5'7 and a half 
I was like, oh, okay, bitch. Excuse me. Yeah. With my Doc Martens on, I'm six foot tall. Oh my god, yeah, you're a big bitch. Yeah, I'm a big bitch, so I can't really relax in a bathtub. It's like, my titties are out, my knees, my dick sometimes. Like, I can't relax in there. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but I also love this character work that Nancy, uh, or that Heather is giving to Nancy. Like, the attitude that she gives to Marge throughout the movie is so funny like when she's like yeah nancy don't fall asleep in that bathtub a lot of people die that way and she's like oh for pete's sake <laughs> like are you kidding me <laughs> for <And> she- pete's <laughs> sake mom <laughs> and she says i made you some warm milk and she's like warm milk, milk? gross, gross. <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah she's so yeah she's over her mom miss marge she is a hot mess she is an alcoholic. But she is glamour. She's glamour. And Ronnie Blakely, <laughs> she, prior to this, was, um, she was a real reason why this movie got funded. She and John Saxon, like, their presence in this film was um, big for, like, the investors that they got to fund this movie. Um, which, yeah, which is crazy because I look at her and for some reason I just think of, like, a 70s porn star. Or, like, Shelley Duvall. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of she reminds me of, too. Yeah, her, like, her, like feathered hair, but then like her like purple garage door, like yes. eyeshadow. She's tremendous in the movie. I think it's it's also tremendous that they got her her skin, her lips, and her hair are all the same color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, yeah, she had to be in the makeup chair for three hours as well as Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> like, we have some leftover orange paint. Yeah, I know. <laughs> She is quite orange in this movie. Kind of jarring, yeah. (laughs) Another thing that's kind of jarring are these mushy oatmeal stairs. So I guess that is like oatmeal, like sticky oatmeal. (laughs) I don't. Apparently, there is some controversy. People are like, it is oatmeal and glue, and other people are like, it's bisquick. Yeah. So, what is the truth? I have seen both as well. It's some sort of breakfast item mixed with yeah. glue. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, two, two eggs, a side of bacon, right. hash browns. <laughs> moons over my hammy. <laughs> yes, like moons you always- over my hammy and glue. <laughs> um, the mushy oatmeal stairs. Yeah, this is actually based on a real nightmare from Bob Shea, the producer of the, the basically the owner of New Line that that yeah. really got this movie going. So he directed that scene. Yeah, he directed the scene. I thought that was so cool. Wes said, I'm taking a day off. <laughs> they do look delicious though. They kind of look like a, like a like a peep or something. The only thing I don't like about <laughs> it is that you can see the holes where she's supposed to yeah. be putting her feet. <laughs> yes. I'm like, all right, I don't know. But um Freddie wearing Tina's face, that makes up for it. Because Whoa, that is scary. That, that is crazy. Not since Miss Leatherface have we seen have something we seen so gruesome. Such, such beauty, yeah. Yeah, it's gruesome. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also a really hilarious line in this section where she's <laughs> talking with Glenn about, you know, pull me out of my dream. And she's looking in the mirror because she hasn't slept. She's like, God, I look 20 years old. Oh, yes. I was like, bitch. I was like, not, I was like, not 20 years old. How dare you? It's more hilarious that Heather was actually 20 years old when this movie came out. <laughs> oh my god, I know. She was 19 <laughs> and she filmed this. So it's kind of like a meta humor 
of her actual age because they're too old to be playing high schoolers once again. <laughs> yeah, but I, you, you can tell like the little influence that this movie had on Scream. I mean, we have this little window scene where Glenn sneaks into Nancy's room and I, some of the dialogue even sounds identical to to the oh, yes. first window scene with Billy and Sydney. That's really fun to watch these movies that inspired one of our favorites because Scream is of our time and these are movies that we had to go back yeah. and watch. And so we're yeah. able to see and make those connections to what inspired our favorite scary movie. Exactly. And I like this idea that like Nancy was almost like given a clue about Rod's death or like she was sort of seeing it like happen. Oh, it's like a premonition. Yeah, she's getting the information before. I was like, I was like, that's kind of cool. Like she's now tapped into this dream world. Yes. um, But I'm confused. But okay, I'm confused about two things. So they, so basically when they sleep and dream, they could all this kind of does feed into the sequels like later on where like they all can be in the same dream at the same time because she's seeing him enter his cell and I'm assuming that that was actually happening like he was going to kill Rod in his sleep but then he was interrupted by distracted being in that same dream which is kind of a cool idea do you think that shook Freddy like it like threw him off like he doesn't know that that could happen because I'm like do they all have that ability Probably not. Well, I mean, they do in part three, but... But in this one, it seems like just Nancy. It's just Nancy. She's our star. She's the driving force behind this. She's special. Yeah. She is. She is. And the other thing I'm confused by in this is when they actually go to the jail cell and uh, the sheet starts wrapping around his neck, he wakes up. And I'm like, can it still keep happening to you after you wake up? I thought it doesn't. Ooh, that's true. Yeah, it's like he's not a ghost, really. He, it, You die in your d- dreams, you die in real life. Like, that's what the logic is, right? Right, right. So that makes no sense. But it keeps happening even after his eyes are open and he's awake. And I'm like, huh, what's going on here? Dreaming with his eyes wide open. Interesting, right? Whatever. But it's a shocking visual, nonetheless, <laughs> of him being dragged out of bed and pulled up and hung. Like, I think someone hanging is a really, like, shocking, severe yeah. death. So, like, seeing it on screen yeah. every time in any movie is is kind of scary and horrifying. Yeah. But it also goes, like, that kind of death can be construed as being suicide. So it sort of keeps... Yes, it keeps Nancy looking crazy. Going, it, yes. You know, it, it keeps her lo- looking like, like what she's saying could possibly not be true because that's something that somebody could actually do is hang themselves. Yeah, so Freddie was smart here. He was, he was playing it up. He was trying to... He's taunting her down Nancy. Yeah. He breaks down her reputation with everybody around her to the point where she's unreliable to count on and, you know, really corners her. And, you know, I like to always simplify it down to this. I'm like, was it that she was just crazy or is there really a man in their dreams trying to kill them? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I love that thought of it. It's actually really scary to me. Oh, one thing I want to say before we move on is... Why does Nancy and her mom and her dad have like a front row seat at Rod's funeral? Marge is like, my heels are sinking into the grass. <laughs> yeah. It's all drunk. <laughs> Rod's grandma's in the back standing in the fucking grass. And they- <laughs> 90 years old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that actually brings us to our next section. Yes. All right. Let's get into it. Lieutenant Thompson is skeptical of Nancy's claims that they are being haunted in their dreams. As it appears, Rod simply hung himself. 
Both Marge and Lieutenant Thompson seem to share an unspoken realization about Nancy's allegations, but they will not admit anything to Nancy. Instead, Marge takes Nancy to a sleep clinic where they monitor her body as she sleeps. Her nightmare sends the instruments haywire because of its intensity, and when they wake Nancy up, she has a sudden gray streak in her hair from terror. There's another shock for all of them. Nancy is inexplicably holding the killer's fedora. She says she was holding onto it when she woke up. Nancy's mother continues to deny that anything strange is going on, and she insists that Nancy get some sleep. Instead, Nancy produces the fedora and points it out that it has a name written inside, Fred Krueger. Marge denies knowing who that is, and Nancy reacts angrily. Nancy has a conversation with Glenn, where Glenn tells her that certain Zen masters could control their dreams. Nancy asks what they would do if they met a monster in their dreams, and Glenn says that they would turn their back on it. If you take away a nightmare's energy, it disappears. Glenn is surprised that Nancy believes that she will die because of a nightmare, and also that she's reading books on creating booby traps and survival techniques. Nancy's mother finally opens up to her and tells her the truth in the most campy, dramatic, glamorous performance by, by Miss Blakely. <laughs> Taking Nancy down into their basement, Marge tells her about Fred Krueger, who was a murderer that preyed on young children. When Krueger was apprehended, a technicality being an improperly signed search warrant caused the evidence against him to be inadmissible, and he was not convicted and was hence released from prison. As a result, she and Nancy's father, along with other parents in the neighborhood, murdered Krueger on their own by setting him on fire. Marge reaches into the furnace and removes a dirty bundle. Unwrapping it, she produces Freddy's glove, which she took the night they murdered him. Nancy realizes that Freddy is out for revenge, somehow reaching from beyond the grave to murder them in their dreams. Nancy calls Glenn and makes a plan with him to kill Freddy, asking him to meet her at midnight to attack Freddy after she pulls him out of her dream. When Nancy tries to call Glenn again, his parents will not allow him to talk to her. She receives a taunting phone call from Kruger saying he's her boyfriend now. And Freddy's tongue appears on her phone. <laughs> she realizes that Glenn is about to die. Nancy can't rescue him because her mother has placed metal bars on all the windows and doors. Glenn falls asleep and is killed by Freddy, being sucked into his bed and apparently shredded until nothing is left but gore, which erupts into a horrible fountain all over his bedroom. Ooh, okay. Wow. First of all, at this sleep clinic, the doctor that works there, he's like, she, Marge asks him, what are dreams? And he's like, they're mysteries. Incredible body <laughs> hocus pocus. The truth is, we don't know what they are, or where they come from. And I'm like, that cannot be true. There has to be <laughs> some sort of science behind it. And actually, there isn't. Oh, really? I was literally wrong. I was like, there's no way, like, at this point in time, what, 40 something years later after this movie came out, that sleep science has not advanced. But I no, guess. Nothing. Yeah. So <laughs> I looked it up because I was like, what the? F-? I'm like, he's wrong. And I'm going to prove it on my podcast. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I looked it up, but it's like, okay, this is what I found. Dreams are a universal human experience that can be described as a state of consciousness characterized by sensory, cognitive, and emotional occurrences during sleep. But it is sort of true that they don't know exactly what it is or what causes them. Or what, or, or their purpose. 
Yeah, there are studies about how dreams are produced and how they're presented, but mostly the results are more so the meaning of specific dreams, like when your teeth fall out or when you slip off of oh, a cliff. That is my most reoccurring. Yes, that's a it's stress horrible. dream. You know, so that's how you know they know yeah. it's a stress dream. They say it's about but, money, which is crazy since. Um, you know, money is no object to me. <laughs> <laughs> or you don't have enough money to fix your teeth, bitch. No. <laughs> I'm just yeah, like, then I woke up and my teeth actually did fall out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't a dream after all. Shoot, <laughs> <laughs> sure, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> but it's weird. I mean, it just it's been described as showing like your unconscious desires, you know, but also memory pre-processing and consolidation of information gathered throughout the day. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. Weird. Dreams are, he's right. They're a fucking mystery. Yeah. Like who knows what dreams are? Or and do nightmares. They, they don't, nightmares. Do they mean anything? Do they not? Who knows? But it's so, it's a fascinating thing to think about. Nightmares are really fascinating and kind of complex because they're born from our fears and our anxiety and sadness and trauma. So those are scarier than just regular old dreams. I know. You know what I always think is interesting when I see like medication can cause nightmares. I'm like, that's so strange. Like, well, what kind of medication? You, have you heard of that? I don't know. I, 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 maybe it's, maybe I'm thinking weed. There's like, if you take us, if you take too much, is it CBN? I think something like that. Uh, oh. If you take too much of it, it can give you nightmares. Oh, specifically. And it's like, that's so specific. Specifically nightmares. Well, I'll tell you one thing that can't happen. You can't get so scared that your hair turns gray. <laughs> uh, that is medically impossible. That <laughs> is science, science, mama. I'm a fucking professor now. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I looked it up. It's now medically impossible. It, oh, you looked it up. Oh, so it's like a myth. Yeah. Well, that is something that they do say. They, I, I remember that it's not just in this movie that I've heard that if you got so scared your hair turns white right it'll happen in our movie next week too and it's quite the fright <laughs> oh yes it's quite a fright <laughs> the wig is a fright in one scene <laughs> in particular <laughs> um, but yeah this gray streak shows up in her hair and it, it wasn't like all of her hair turned white it was just like she woke up and she had like a glamorous like streak in there I was like ooh and it was curled she looks great. Yeah, she looked like Stacy London from One yeah. Off to Wear. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, her birthmark. Isn't that that's a yeah. birthmark? Like it's naturally yeah. like gray in just that area. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Maybe she got it from fright. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, she saw just like the worst outfit ever and it gave her a fright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it just formed. <laughs> oh my god. This is a cool concept now here that you could pull things out of your dream. What would you want to pull out from a dream? Money. Some what? I said money. Buddy. That's what I thought. You know, sometimes in dreams you have a lot of money and then you wake up and you don't got any. So then you're like, fuck. Yeah. And you're like, damn it. I'd like to pull some men out of my dream. Yes. Money and a hot guy with a big dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, what else do I dream about that was like something that I want? I can't pull I what, like breathing underwater out of there. <laughs> Which I do have often. I have dreams where I'm swimming underwater and breathing. All right. Settle down, Little Mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) Where I'm like holding my breath and then I'm like, oh my God, I have to inhale or else I'm going to die. Then I inhale and I'm fine. I'm like, oh my God, I can breathe. Maybe that's a sign that like you stress and but everything's going to be okay at the end of the day. Uh, That's it. 
Oh my god, you read my dream. <laughs> I'm you. honestly profound. <laughs> You're enlightened, bitch. Yeah. All right, what's going on in this movie? Okay, this next <laughs> scene where Nancy calls out her mom's alcoholism and oh. <laughs> Heather says that when they were filming this scene that they both were so into it that Ronnie Blakely actually slapped her. <laughs> it wasn't even in the script. <laughs> it wasn't even in the script. Yeah. Now she's disrespectful, but you know what? Her mom is an alcoholic, and so if you want to call it out, call it out. Nancy's not one to shy away from a confrontation. Oh no, she's into survival. Okay, she ain't no punk. No punk bitch. Like yeah. she yeah, she's into surviving surviving the turmoils of her parents and also of a psycho dream killer. Yes. And also that horrific sight of her um, bars on the windows of her house. <laughs> Even when she walks up to it, she's like, oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It sucks. I mean, they are, she, her walls are literally closing in on her. Like she, she, her ability to escape Freddy is like, it's like getting harder. You know, the walls are yes. closing in. And so her escape is uh, not there. It's not as accessible. Yeah. So Freddie's getting ready to, to, you know, really go in on her and really get that ass. Mm-hmm. And then when Marge is urging her to sleep and she's like, why don't I just crawl into a bottle like you? And then she slaps her. Oh. But then her further response to that is that when Nancy gets home later, she's actually drunk. <laughs> yes, I love it. This is the moment I've been talking about where it is fabulous. She slowly lights that cigarette. Yeah, she's in her slinky robe. She, Her hair is fully done. She has a full face on. She's still in her robe from this morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this is a cool backstory that she reveals that the parents hunted down the yeah. child murderer after he escaped um, being charged. And um, now he's seeking revenge from beyond the grave. It's sort of like yeah, eye like, for an eye, but well, it's well. I think it's really interesting because I feel like it plays into this idea that these parents are going above and beyond to protect their children, mm-hmm. and in turn, they've created something worse. It's like it's sort of a theme that runs out, like runs through the rest of this movie that I notice between you know them, just the backstory in general of them trying to protect their children and children. Other pe- or other people's children, I guess, yeah. by killing the murderer. But then at the end of the day, he comes back as this like vengeful, vengeful fucking spirit, right? But then also now the parents are like starting to get concerned about Nancy, so they start putting on these like metal bars on the door, and they're like, you know, I think later on we'll see Glenn's parents trying to protect him by not having him talk to Nancy. But then that yeah. again that puts the children back in danger because you know they have a plan so it, it is something that i see no that i notice running through this is that's like the parents their parents intentions to protect their kids are actually what are leading to their fucking demise yeah and it does fuck with the character's psyches because i love yeah. that the character of nancy is sort of spiraling into psychosis from not sleeping it just adds like a new layer to her that the final girl is derailing. Like she's not getting stronger and like not learning from her trauma. She's actually getting so tired that she's, she's spiraling out of control. <laughs> so Literally, I think that's like, kind of cool. I can't even function when I get like two hours of sleep or something. I can't imagine. She's like, at one point she's like, I haven't slept in six days. I'm like, Oh my God. She yes. has to be going crazy. 
But she has that, to there's be. no way that she can't be. Okay. <laughs> I think that we should start selling merch again for Fear the Talking Queers. And I think one of them should be a sex toy that's designed like this phone with Freddie's tongue hanging out of it. <laughs> oh my god, it's yeah, it's so hot. So hot. And it's mechanical, so you could just put it right up against like your balls or your cooch and then yeah. it just starts licking. <laughs> it looks like it's made of Laffy Taffy. Ew. Like, I want to eat does. it. I want to chew on it. My yeah. friend and I love this, and I actually ordered her a shirt that says this. Uh, that says, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. And because we used to say it all the time, because a uh, fun little thing was when I worked on the cruise ship, uh, we had a charter cruise. That was an 80s cruise. Ooh. And they had different themes every night. And one of the night's themes was horror because, you know, obviously horror was such a big 80s thing. And um, one of the fun things that they had was that they were playing this movie on the deck outside. So I was on the open waters in the middle of the ocean watching Nightmare on Elm Street uh, on a cruise ship. It was so fun. When it got to that part, we she was like dying laughing. And so it's iconic. Yeah. There's an alternate take where the tongue is like in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. But um, this also serves as a premonition to our next death, which another one that's so iconic. And of course, it happens to take place on that same rotating set. It's so good. Yes. And I mean, we have to mention the elephant in the room, which is Miss Johnny Depp's crop top. I still used to today to justify why men should wear crop tops. If you ever see anything about it, this is like this is like a standout iconic moment. And I have to say that I love when people cosplay this. So if you've cosplayed this, please DM those photos to <laughs> to us at us Instagram at Fear the Talking Queers. And if you know you're wearing a jock strap or <laughs> or nothing at all, that'd probably be even better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Send them our way. I'm so dumb. You know, when I see this um, death until I actually like looked it up, um, I was like, do we have that much blood in our bodies? <laughs> Oh, all right. Yeah, apparently it took somewhere between 300 to 500 gallons of fake blood. I heard that they fucked it up the first take. And then they... <gasps> yes. Yes. They said it was like the, the camera was rotated incorrectly, so it got filmed, like, wrong. And they had to recreate that whole set because it was demolished from the, you know, just from the blood. So they had to do it again, and it cost them, like, thousands of dollars to do. Oh, my God. Well, I thought it was from that they put this set, it rotated, you know, they were they rotated it for Tina's death scene, and they planned to do that again. Yeah. But they were doing it by hand, and with the gallons of blood that were embedded in the set, that it was so heavy that it just swung out of control, and the blood spewed everywhere. And Robert England grabbed Heather Langenkamp and ran to like a different room because they thought there were like exposed wires on the ground. That's so they thought they were going to be electrocuted. And then Wes Craven said that he and the director of photography were upside down and that they just saw like a flash of like sparks and the lights went out and everyone fled the room thinking they were going to be electrocuted and left Wes Craven and the director of photography hanging upside down for like 30 minutes. <laughs> Oh my god. I think my story sounds better. Just <laughs> that is like a fucking that's like more than what I had heard. They're like, oh yeah, the camera was wrong. Like, wow, that's <laughs> a whole epic. Yeah, right? Jesus. 
Heather Langenkamp said this was like her first big movie and then like she thought that this was just normal until she started doing other projects <laughs> and then she was like wow you really don't have to go through all of that <laughs> to get that shot you know done. I almost had to be electrocuted on every movie <laughs> who knew <laughs> But it makes for a great, iconic shot. Just the fact that they even filmed that upside down. I'm like, wow, how cool is that? And it was inspired by The Shining. For sure. The blood flood. What do you think happened to his body? I don't know. He must have been torn to shreds. To me, it's like they blew him up. Like, But you know what's really interesting, though? Is that uh, we've yet to see a character die from Freddy. Like, you know what I'm saying? We haven't oh, seen like him we actually never kill seen him anybody on screen. kill anyone. Yeah, and You're apparently right. he, he doesn't physically kill anybody in this movie, ever. And that not until Nightmare on Elm Street 2 does he actually kill somebody. Like, on screen. Like, we see him doing it. Isn't that crazy? It's only implied. That is So maybe crazy. it wasn't Freddy at all. Well, also, I didn't realize that he only had seven minutes of screen time either, like you said. So yeah. I'm like... Wow, Freddy, I, I guess just the the blood, sweat, and tears that Wes Craven and Robert England put into Freddy makes him seem so much bigger and scarier yeah. than he actually is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's an iconic character that has stood the test of time, so they did something right. Shall we move on? Oh my gosh. What were we going to say? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy, Nancy realizes, realizes she is, she is now, now alone and must face Freddy or die. Calling her father, she tells him that she is going to go and get Freddy and bring him out of her dream. And she wants her father to be there to arrest Freddy when she does. <laughs> Not arrest. Arrest. <laughs> no, like fucking kill him. He's disgusting. <laughs> like I'm going to pull him out of my dream and I want you to arrest him and put that motherfucker on trial. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Throw the book at him. <laughs> I make sure he tells the whole truth and nothing but the truth. (laughs) You can't handle the truth. (laughs) That is so ridiculous. I was like, not arrest. She's (laughs) for that. Yeah. I want you to arrest him. (laughs) Spank his booty. Press press charges. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Lieutenant Thompson doesn't believe her, but he patronizes her so that she will just go to sleep. (laughs) Nancy sets up a number of booby traps in the house for Freddy in order to give herself an advantage after she captures him. After saying goodnight to her mother, who is now completely drunk, Nancy falls asleep and goes down into her basement. There, she finds a door that was never really there before, and it leads down a long staircase into the boiler room. Freddy is nowhere to be found, and time is running out before Nancy's alarm goes off and wakes her up. Finally, he attacks her, and she struggles with him. Her nightmare suddenly shifts, and they are outside of her house. Nancy's scheme succeeds, and she brings Freddy into the real world, holding on to him as her alarm goes off. The booby traps she has rigged for Freddy help her get an edge on him, but she is unable to get the attention of her father. The cop he has posted to watch Nancy's house seems to be unable to understand that Nancy needs help. That is not true. He was being an asshole. There are a lot of things that were untrue in the synopsis as we were reading it. And I just want to say that it's not our fault. This is like the one synopsis we didn't write. Okay. This is from IMDb. So blame whoever was on IMDb talking about this movie. (laughs) 
Freddie chases Nancy through her house and down into her basement where she sets him on fire. Lieutenant Thompson breaks into the house but he and Nancy are shocked to see fiery footprints leading out of the basement. They follow the trail upstairs and find Freddie struggling with Marge in her bed. When they finally pull back the bedclothes... Who were the bled the bedclothes? <laughs> the bedclothes. <laughs> <laughs> when they pull back the sheets, Freddie is gone. <laughs> Marge is nothing but a charred corpse, and the body disappears into the bed. The supernatural manifestation shocks Lieutenant Thompson, but Nancy seems resolute. She asks to be alone for a moment, and when Lieutenant Thompson leaves, Freddie appears, rising up out of the bed. Nancy turns her back on him this time, remembering what Glenn told her. She curses Freddie, telling him, You're nothing! You're shit! (laughs) He lunges at her, but her lack of fear renders him powerless, and he vanishes into thin air. (laughs) Into eight pixels. (laughs) (laughs) He pixelates into oblivion. Nancy leaves the bedroom and suddenly finds herself outside, dressed for school. Marge stands on the porch and sees Nancy off to school in a loving way, telling Nancy that she is going to quit drinking. (laughs) Does nothing for me anymore. I just don't want to do it. (laughs) Great. Glenn, Rod, and Tina pull up in Glenn's car to take Nancy to school. When Nancy gets in, the convertible roof suddenly slams shut over their heads. The roof is red and green, just like Freddy's sweater. The windows go up and the car drives off with all four of them trapped inside. Marge seems oblivious, waving goodbye to the kids, when suddenly, Freddy's arm smashes outwards through the small window in the front door. In a bizarre movement, Marge's entire body is pulled through the tiny window and she is gone. (laughs) Okay, something that's kind of cool that's introduced in this section is that Nancy goes into the dream world to pull Freddy out. And he has collected trinkets from his victims. He's taken Tina's crucifix, Rod's switchblade, and Glenn's headphones. Yeah, that is crazy. He's a little, little hoarder, a little collector. What do you think about this, like the the crucifix stuff? I'm kind of like, mm, I, I, there's a few times that the crucifix, like crucifix, like shows up. It like falls off the wall at one point. Maybe to more so equate Freddy to like the devil. But I, I think it's a cool visual to have, you know, because we kind of do think about that, especially like fresh from the 70s with like Amityville and The Exorcist and stuff like that. Right. So, totally. Sure. I guess that's probably why more it's used. I don't know, because they couldn't think of anything else around with six. Five, six, better pick up sticks. <laughs> 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 to fight him off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We totally haven't even addressed the, the creepy song the- I was gonna ask you if you could conjure up a pop version of the, oh my God. the nursery rhyme one two Freddy's coming for you three four better lock your door five six grab a crucifix okay so then she pulls him out of his dream of her dream she's successful in that which is great because now she has like a one up on him she set up all these yeah. booby traps and thank um, god that worked yeah, and then she lights him on fire. Like she's a badass bitch in this section. <laughs> that is that part is hilarious. I love when that when it explodes. I was like, oh my god! I was like, Nancy is not fucking playing around. She's like, I'm gonna explode my own damn house. <laughs> yeah, uh, that light bulb when it just <laughs> yeah, she blew up that yes. light bulb. It's so fu- I like laughed. I was like, oh my god, that's yeah, hilarious. She's extreme. 
And this stunt double of Freddy. Oh my god. And it's uh, obviously not Freddy, but what an impressive stunt. Uh, to, he was on fire for a while. It is crazy, but yeah, it is so nice to see like a final girl with so much agency. Like right. Nancy really comes across as more of a fighter, a survivor. And that's something that probably wasn't around too much, you know? It was mostly fleeing as opposed to yeah, meet, meeting the monster head on. And she, and the thing is, is that she has nowhere to run. The danger is in her head, like in her dreams, you know? She has, yes. she has no other choice other than to fight back. It's kill or be killed at this point. And then they follow the fucking flaming Freddy all the way up <laughs> to <laughs> Ms. Marge's room where we get a stunning visual <laughs> of her mom's charred body disappearing into the bed. It's cartoonish as hell. But I was it's, like, oh my God, it's like I put on <laughs> Beetlejuice. A creep show. It looks like creep show. <laughs> But it's fun. But you know, Wes Craven said it is one of the effects that did, that he feels does did not pay off. He said he would yeah. have changed it if he could. It doesn't really land. <laughs> yeah, like the the bright light that like <laughs> the you know. blue ethereal light. <laughs> yeah, the eighty the eighties ethereal like lighting like it's kind of silly. I really like Nancy as a final girl too because of this final speech that she gives Freddie about wanting her life back and. renouncing every ounce of energy that she's given this monster it's um i really i really feel like this is empowering for anyone who has faced trauma and i feel like this is a nice yeah like not just for girls but for anybody who's kind of had to stick up for themselves against a bully or a fucking bigot or something like that you know just being able to like empower yourself and take your energy back from delivering all of that to them this is oh, really totally. nice. I was like, I really respect this dialogue. I love it. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Wes Craven, he's done a lot of interviews about this movie where he really talks about the, the reason why we love horror movies, where he correlates horror movies to current events and how true horror yeah. is in the violence of the news and the darkness inside each of us. And that's something that he says Nancy is very aware of and that he, he says that she's the final girl because she's the only one that's able to see the real horror of the reality like beyond Freddie, like her mother being an alcoholic and yeah. her parents divorce and things like that so she's better able to control her mind to a monster that only has power in her dreams so that's yeah. kind of kind of neat and one of the documentaries um that I watched in preparation for this, it talked about this movie coming out at the time that it did, where the economy was on the verge of collapse and the AIDS epidemic. Like in the movie, you see the parents of Elm Street, like Nancy and Tina's mom, specifically, they seem a little unstable and disturbed. And you sort of have Freddy's going up and down the street, sweeping up the innocents. So it's sort of like a mark of the transition of the times. And you know, every great horror movie sort of represents that in a way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, and like seeing like the trauma of the parents and, you know, how like the trickle down effect of of parental trauma. This isn't a movie specifically about that, but it does add to the real life horrors of of the film. And Nancy takes it on head to head and she ultimately defeats Freddy until we get another ending. We get a fake out ending that Wes Craven for sure wishes did not happen. This was like pure studio interference. It's like, what does, because at first you watch it without knowing the behind the scenes trivia. And it's like, what does this mean? It's yeah. like, I, I know Nancy I, I, shows I, up in the sequels, but if this were a standalone film, would she be dead or was it all? Yeah, because she fully looks like she's dead. 
And the original version, Wes's version, where the end is Nancy turning her back on Freddy, he loses his power, and the next day, life resumes for her, and everyone's alive, and she tells her mom that she had the weirdest dream last night, you know, but... Like yeah. you said, studio interference, Bob Shea, head of New Line, wanted an ending where the car drives up to pick up Nancy and Freddie's driving because he wanted that cliffhanger for a potential sequel. That's crazy. Yeah, it really does a disservice because, you know, you're following this story and you're like, is she like in some like eternal like limbo where she's just in dream after dream after dream after dream? Like, when, when do we get back to reality? We never see reality again after a point, which no. is weird. And I think that this 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 ending really derails sort of what they were setting up for. Yeah. And even just like the behind the scenes of it all, the, it was chaotic. They kept reshooting different endings. And like, this was the compromise that Wes came up with. He's like, how about we don't see Freddy, but we add these stripes to the convertible and all of this. And even Bob Shea's own father went to see the movie with him. And he's like, you got to cut that part out. It's awful. He said yeah, he, he literally told Bob Shea, quote, you're going to fuck up this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, luckily, that's not the case that people have no. accepted this ending as what, yeah. what it is. But it just feels it's confusing, open ended and unexplained. Like I literally my last note literally says, so dot dot dot. What happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Wes Craven said he regrets yeah, he having this ending because it's not him. It's the one part of the movie that's not from him. I know, and um, it's kind of just a weird way to leave the movie. You're just like, oh. It what? is. It is. It's really weird. But I guess that brings us to our final thoughts. Do you want to hear mine? <laughs> yeah, let me hear it. My final thoughts are that I completely understand why this movie is so treasured. This is one that I constantly go back to because it's one of the great movies from a fantastic decade. Like, And it's one of the icons of Generation X. It's a true gem of the horror genre. The 80s nostalgia, the strong final girl, the amazing villain that Wes and Robert created together. This movie's really damn good and it has some great ideas. It's brutal. It's unsettling for many reasons, like the disorienting nightmares, the idea that someone can infiltrate and exploit your mind and your dreams, and that Freddy is specifically a child killer. Like, there's a lot to this that makes it truly unsettling. But of course, by the time I was old enough to watch and comprehend movies, this entire franchise had been out from this to New Nightmare. And so after repeated viewings of them all, they just sort of blurred together from a fresh perspective and see past the dated aspects and the inferior sequels. This one, you can truly enjoy the horror of it and appreciate the cleverness, the effects, the ideas that crafted the brilliance of this original masterpiece. I have to give this a five out of five. Yeah, for sure. I think that you hit the nail on the head with all of it. I mean, there's not really much more I can say that you didn't say, but uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it has stood the test of time. It is such a, like a perfect example of how simple story can storytelling can be told so well. Um, you know, you don't need a major budget to produce like, you know, over the top scares or anything like that. Like this, this was a great mix of fantastic, but also real horrors. And, um, I think that it's absolutely deserving of its of its title or you know of anything that it holds. It's just a perfect timepiece of the '80s horror, um, practical effects, you know, great story, great villain, um, final girl, just like you said. And yeah, so definitely, this is a five out of five classic. 
classique. Yes, I love this movie. Um, next week, we are doing a special Valentine's Day episode with <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. Oh my god, yes. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Fear the Talking Queers. Well, obviously, if you follow us on Instagram, just go to the link in our bio. But if you don't have Instagram, <laughs> you can find all of our information on flow.page slash fear the talking queers. You can find out how to support the show. You can listen to our Spotify playlist that we so carefully curate for your listening pleasure. All right. Well, probably in the most appropriate, you know, circumstance ever. Why don't we say it? Sweet, Sweet screams, screams, bitch. bitch. Bye. Bye.